So welcome to Smart Water Solutions podcast. I'm Hakim Elfadil. This is episode number three. Um, today's guest is Dr. Jochen Henkel. In this episode, we will uh, learn about uh, what to avoid and what to keep in mind while performing a simulation of brackish water reverse osmosis membrane plant. And then moreover, we will learn from um, Dr. Henkel um, some of the key technical hints of combining two technologies, ion exchange resin and reverse osmosis membrane for brackish water treatment. Jochen, welcome. Thank you. Um, so Jochen has done his uh, master's degree between the Technical University of Berlin in Germany and the University of Santiago de Campotella in Spain in 24. Um, the focus topic was the determination of biological activity in advanced nitrogen removal process. And then in 2010, he has achieved his PhD degree at the Technical University of Darmstadt in Germany with focus topic, the construction and operation of membrane bioreactor systems for gray water and wastewater treatment. Later on, um, he joined the Colorado School of Mines in the United States as postdoctoral research fellow with focus on submerged membrane bioreactor. And then in 2012, uh, actually we both together, we joined the uh, Dowaton Pro Solutions as technical service and development engineer. And so we still now both of us working with the, with the same company, uh, more or less we changed a little bit of scope, but Jochen, I think he, uh, you have um, also, I mean, he also keep in doing TSND. So Jochen, I've given brief introduction about you. So why not just, you know, share something else if you have, if I, if I missed uh, on your biography. No, Hakim. I think you you already completely described what I what I did in the in the past and what were my main um, topics of research and experience in the past. So maybe something to add for for the audience would be that um, I I started actually with soil remediation at the Technical University. That was my main subject, and and then. Um, I got to know more and more the, the wastewater field with my PhD, while while now I changed again to to the more clean water side. But I think this perspective perspective um, is good to understand if you know what is ongoing in the soil, how water is treated through soils, and how rivers, river water, or what water sources are, the comp composition of those waters are, and what is the reason for these comp compositions. That helps you a lot. Um, in the daily work that I do, because yeah, water is the the main is the main part of our of our work. Okay, that's great. And Jochen, I think I mean we spent together five years, and I remember um, in 2012 we had this, we shared the same office. I think almost one year. <laughs> And yeah. back at that time, we were waiting for our colleagues to retire so that we can, I can get to their office. And then we split after the second year. But I think one question maybe I, I never ask you to now, which is, um, I mean, why 
you, let's say, uh, you focus your career on water technology, knowing that in Germany, there's so many industry, you know, uh, automobile industry, IT, so many industry, but why do you focus career on water and not other industry? So that was not on purpose. Um, okay. At the beginning, when I, when I started studying, for me, it was more important to get uh, familiar with environmental studies. That was what I was very interested in, how, as I said, soil, water, and air work together and how they impact each other and how to clean, for example, air, water, and, and soils. That, that was my, my starting point. And everything from, from then on was not, not planned. So okay. when I stopped studying, um, actually I wanted to, to join an OEM and, and work as an engineer in an OEM company. But the economic situation was, was not so good. So yeah, actually I didn't get a job at that time. So then my professor asked, hey, would you like to do a, a PhD? I said, yes, of course. Uh, is it paid? He said, yes, it's paid. It's... And then I said, okay, well, better doing a PhD than uh, uh, not working. So then um, I start doing my PhD. And yeah, when I finished my PhD, it was again a time where I didn't know where to go, what to go. And one of my colleagues at that time, he, he was a um, postdoc from China. He came over to my office and said, hey, don't you want to do a postdoc? I said, um, yes, why not? I don't have any plans for the future, so why not do a postdoc? And that's uh, actually how it continues all the time. That um, if you think, or when I think of something very specifically to do, uh, something else happens and uh, changes uh, my life. So I cannot say that it was planned to work in the, in the water field from the very beginning. Otherwise, I would have studied already at the technical university more in depth water chemistry and all these things. But uh, no, so it's more by chance than really um, planned. Yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting, Jochen, that your situation is the opposite of my situation, I would say. Uh, when I was working with uh, uh, Professor Jan Honkis at the time, 2011, so I was planning to continue with him as a PhD and he has collaboration with Calabria University. And by chance that's, uh, you know, Christian Pizzo, he was our colleagues and he know that professor and he was looking for TSND. And, um, and then when I discussed with the professor, he told me, well, go work a little bit, a couple of years and come back to me and we can do the PhD. And then I never come, <laughs> never come back to him. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's, uh, that's kind of, yeah. Good. So let's get down to business, Jochen. So, Jochen, your job is technical service and development. Uh, it's like my job as well. And, but the difference is um, you are focusing on brackish water and seawater. So why not just give in just brief uh, general idea what is the TSND and how important, you know, uh, I mean, just the task that TSND a job is doing for, I mean, in your case, every process, ultra filtration. So, what is briefly you are doing for the TSND job? Yeah, as for you, it's actually three tasks that we accomplish within our role. It's uh, the first one, of course, is designing our own 
plant. So if an OEM has a project and it has a water composition and is requiring a certain water quality in the end, we are typically approached and asked to do a design, a reverse osmosis design or an ultrafiltration design or an exchange design. So designing reverse osmosis systems, this is one of my tasks. Um, the, the second one, of course, is also troubleshooting. You know it as well. So when plants are built and are operating, from time to time they, they get into troubles or the, the permit quality doesn't match or they have problems with fouling or scaling, etc. And then we get involved to, to find out what is the reason, where could it come from, um, and the third task is finally to also train people, to train OEMs, our customers, to use our software to um, give them the right tools so they can do actually the design um, by themselves, that they know our products, that know how they perform and um, how they can use them in, in their daily work. I think these three tasks describe uh, my daily work. Yeah, that's very good summarize. And and, and um, actually, I would like to add one point also. That um, I mean, th there is a big component, the development component. Also, um, sometimes when we get in touch with the customers and we realize that um, so many customers they are looking for same things or same products which didn't exist in the market, uh, we kind of bridge this opportunity internally. And we try to discuss, you know, internally how to ship this opportunity, this customer needs from just an ID to a real product. And that's what yeah. comes the decompon development components from our job, I would say. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So if I understood correctly, so your focus is the, one of the key focus area for you is to do simulation with um, with uh, for RO and UF for the customers and specifically for the OEMs. Um, the OEMs is simply origin equipment manufacturing that actually the company who built um, the membrane installation or the technology installation and they sell it to the end user to treat the water and get whatever they, 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 they want to get from, from seawater, brackish water, wastewater. So actually, OEM is kind of a company between us, uh, between the component supplier and the end user. So my question to you, Hennis, um, you have more than seven years experience with um, the design um, of RO membranes. So before stepping into the design, I just would like to ask you, generally speaking, what is the benefits or what is the value of using the reverse osmosis technology in brackish water treatments? That's what my first question. And the second question, uh, what are the next best alternatives of reverse osmosis in brackish water treatment, if there is any other alternatives? Yeah, okay. So from, from my perspective, the, the general value for, for the reverse osmosis process is that it acts like a membrane filter just on the ionic level. So while microfiltration or ultrafiltration, which are also membrane processes, um, remove particles and, and colloids in the, in the size of micrometers or several nanometers, um, reverse osmosis can additionally remove dissolved components, dissolved substances, like for example, salts and small organic components. 
And um, because the water has to pass uh, a membrane, um, it acts also like a barrier, like a dense barrier. And I think this is also important from the, from the safety perspective, water safety perspective. And of course, there are alternatives. Um, yeah, we just mentioned it before, ion exchange processes or electrodialysis or evaporation, distillation processes. Yeah, so all these technologies exist and they, they have their niche. Um, and in many cases, they are also um, better or perform better. And then reverse osmosis, depending on the water quality. And yeah, and, and, and that's really the, the key that you need to understand the, the viewpoint of the, the customer. You need to understand the water composition. And, and then you choose the technology that uh, accomplishes most, um, yeah, what the customer is asking for. Okay, so it's good points. I mean, just the last point, if I would understand, it's, it depends on, you know, the water quality that you have as a feed and what you would like to achieve as a final permit or clean water. And then based on that, you can select or pick up the right technology for that customer. That yeah. Yeah, right, okay. Yeah, and not only the water composition, but also, for example, water price, waste price, all this influences um, the design. Um, we, for example, in, in Denmark, we, we had a trend over the last, like, um, say, 10 years before, technology was moving towards reverse osmosis. And then when um, the water price increased, and I think nowadays the water price is higher than 5 euro per cubic meter of tap water, so the water price is relatively high. Um, then again, we, we saw a move back to, to ion exchange processes because they typically work on a higher recovery than reverse osmosis processes, so they become more efficient compared to reverse osmosis. So it's not only the water quality, but also water price, waste price, and also the circumstances um, the, the customer is in, like do they have chemicals on site or can they um, get chemicals on site? So, yeah, it's quite complex. It's not just water, um, the water composition, but many other topics that finally determine which technology suits best for the customer. That's very good way to say it. Uh, it comes down to the experts, someone like you or people from Ion Exchange who can better judge, you know, what is the best. Yeah. Okay understand so uh, talking about reverse osmosis you said um okay it depends on the situation depends on also customer circumstances the the, the up capex opex so many components so many parameters are involved to pick up reverse osmosis as a final product so if i would just focus on reverse osmosis technology and and specifically in brackish water application, I mean, brackish water treatment applications. So my question to you, what has been enhanced or developed within the last five years for this RO technology in the specific brackish water treatment? Uh, treatment? Yeah, well, um, personally, I think um, I have not seen big enhancements over the last five years um, related to, to membrane developments on the commercial level, so membranes that you can already buy and that are sold. Um, some have been announced, uh, 
probably have also heard of those announcements that they, there was a disruptive or grand groundbreaking technology available that will change reverse osmosis business significantly. But in the end, the results that I have seen were, uh, uh, let's say, more sobering than really uh, exciting. Um, I think the, the biggest breakthrough might be the, the changes in the, um, in the feed spacer design that we have seen and that are now also implemented into the module construction and commercially available. So if you use these, these membranes, um, you, you see a significantly lower differential pressure than in the standard modules five years ago. And that, of course, can help um, the customers to reduce the cleaning frequency, to some extent reduce the energy costs, and in principle, nowadays we can build a 440 square foot membrane with the same fouling resistant properties that we built five years ago and we had to use a 400 square foot membrane. So I think this is, from my perspective, the, the biggest change that happened during the last five, five years, maybe. Okay, so the improvements sort of the feed spacer. Do you, do you have any figure or in any real case that's, I mean, just roughly how much, you know, how, have the customer have saved while using the um, this elements with the, this improved phase spacer? Yeah, so we have one plant running um, in in Germany and one plant running uh, or two plants running now in, in in the Netherlands. And just last week, I discussed with one of uh, our um, partners in the Netherlands, and they applied the membrane now. Mm, about half a year to one year, yeah, one year ago, they they started using the membrane, and they said that they use half of the cleanings that they uh, use for for the other plants running in parallel. So we still have to analyze the data and uh, wait for more long-term results for that specific plant. But if that continues, it would be a reduction um, of of cleaning by fifty percent. Fifty percent. Um, yeah. Okay. Fifty percent. Yeah. Okay. And the other plant, which is now running for three years with with a new feed spacer, there you see that um, if you look at the differential pressure, they save about five bars differential pressure, and um, this also is then reflected in the feed pressure, not at the same level, not five, but you have a a, a saving on on the feed pressure. Um, Five bar. New technology. Yeah, not uh, so. The differential pressure is five bar. I think okay. the feed pressure in the end difference is maybe two to three bars. But also there, Which is detailed analysis needs to be done, done. But if you have a large plant and you can save two to three bars, that's a significant amount of energy that you save. Right. Yeah. It's it's a it's 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 something that keeps the end users smiling if they see those 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 figures. Yeah. Okay, yeah, a, and it takes yeah. also the the risk. Like you, if you if you always have to monitor for biofouling or for scaling, and you're afraid of that, you um, exceeds several limits um, where the membranes are then in in danger. Or if you can reduce that risk, of course, it's um, easier to operate also that plant. Then you mean it's easy to okay to operate those plants if okay for the risk of fish, okay. Okay, now the, the the question maybe I would I would ask it differently. 
So, uh, I mean, within those last five years, uh, I'm sure that you have been exp- you have been exposed to you know so many you know, so many needs from the custom end users and maybe OEMs and or maybe also you have some ideas. Um, if if I would summarize all those things that you experience with the customer, um, uh, are there improvements in RO technology for this brackish water treatment? that are still not yet developed or maybe not implemented yet? Um, what, that are not implemented. In, I, mean, I mean, on the research level, you, you see a lot of things um, happening, are investigated, um, carbon tubes, etc. Yeah, um, I think practically we have seen that the last development was on including like nanoparticles into the polyamide layer to improve the permeability of RO. Um, Some companies nowadays claim that they can include natural proteins like aquaporins into their membranes, which should help to increase the permeability and also keep the rejection. my opinion is that like it, while it is working very well on the nano level, there's no doubt because yeah, every cell is actually doing it. Um, but on the commercial level, I have not seen uh, the proof of concept that it really significantly, uh, and I mean not just 10% uh, higher productivity, uh, I would say then I would expect more than 50%. I have not seen that this is, uh, that there's a proof of concept that this works at the moment. But in general, I, I like the concept of investigating natural membrane processes and um, then trying to adapt these to, to the technical level. And I think there's a, a lot of room for improvements compared to, to what, what we produce today. Uh, if you just look at the sustainability aspects, I mean, um, our products are made of plastic and um, yeah, are very difficult to be meaningful, meaningful be recycled. Huh? Yeah, but um, our our natural counterparts, like uh, the plant cells or bacteria cells, they are 100% recyclable. So I think this is something we, we can learn a lot and uh, yeah, adapt our technology, hopefully. Um, the biggest hurdle for new technologies I see in the at the moment is the the cheap price of current available products on the market. You. You remember that when RO started uh, uh, in the 70s and developed in the 80s, um, the price was maybe at $2,000 per element. And that price has declined significantly. So it's a relative cheap product. And every new technology now has to compete against this cheap price. And yeah, we will see if, that's, if there's something new coming up or, or not. Right. It's, it's very good point that you mentioned. I mean, I, I also remember when you said that the price of was really high, the margin was really high. And even uh, I think you remember when we met our colleagues who retired, they were enjoying their lives in the past because the margin was so high. <laughs> in our case, we have so much pressure because there are so many competition in our space right now. But you said a good thing. I, I also didn't pay attention on it, which I, I also didn't think of it too much. When you mention uh, natural materials, so do you mean by that 
um, reverse osmosis membrane developed with the natural polymers who can be recyclable? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, ju just look what nature can build at the moment. Every okay. plant, every leaf has membranes. If you go to the bacterial level, you find bacteria living in the deep sea. I don't know how much pressure they have to resist in that uh, that that. that um, level in the in the oceans um you you find bacteria that grow at 100 uh, degrees celsius um and that means all their membranes need to be able to also resist these conditions so um and i think if we understand how these membranes are built and how maybe we can use more natural products or recyclable products at least um, that would be a big advantage or a big step forward. Yeah, yeah I see your point. That's, that's a very good point. And this is, reminds me, um, so this year I'm working with uh, Professor Ivo van Kilikom here at the University of Leuven in Belgium. And when I'm, I'm, I'm walking every morning to the corridor and I saw some, um, some rooms in, in, in post, I mean, postdoc, they do, they're doing PhD, and there's big papers. They mention something about green chemistry for nanofiltration, green chemistry for catalysis. I think I have, I've, at least in this university, I'm, I'm seeing kind of there is a movement also from the academia to this, you know, to this green solvent, green chemicals, let's say. I didn't put too much time to understand what they mean by green, but my Let's say my gut feeling would say something like you say, something more sustainable compared to what we are using right now, uh, the chemistry that we are using right now to develop nanofiltration or RO or catalysis. So the university, they start to think from, from the sustain, sustainability uh, standpoint. I have no idea who pushed them to go to the selection or maybe this, this is maybe uh, motivation from professors. I don't know, but I have, I have seen that. Yeah, well, I think we need to go this way. <laughs> yeah. uh, if we want to survive the next thousand years, um, <laughs> I think there is nothing, no um, other choice to, to become less unsustainable than uh, how we live and um, work today. I mean, we know that the resources that we use to a great extent are limited. So um, um, when they will not end maybe in 100 years or in 200 years or... Um, but they will end, and uh, we should have a solution for that time when we have used all our resources, uh, or let's say at least oil. Right? There must has to be an alternative um, if you want to survive. Yeah, it's it's, it's a good point that you mentioned uh, the, the resources. There is a stress on the resources that we have right now, and I think that that that's the surprising thing. Uh, for me to now is that um, the water uh, the fresh water available on our earth is I think is less than 0.1% and uh, I just read recently it's more than 80% of the wastewater um, is not treated so every day we generate wastewater more than 80% of that wastewater is not treated properly and maybe it's not recycled. And this, and, and, and for other country, for example, there is like in, in the Middle East, in, uh, in, in 
North Africa, where, I come, where, where I'm coming from, um, one of the resources is to treat seawater or brackish water. And this takes me to the question to you. So um, let's go to the macro level, talking about the member element, talking about the design. So those countries, they build big installation to treat the, the seawater or the brackish water. And before building those installations, they approached the OEMs and then the OEMs approached the component suppliers. And then they came to you, for example, to do the design and to, to help them step by step. So could you just briefly take us to the steps um, from, you know, uh, from the day one when, let's say, the end user in, in Denmark or in Sweden, they have a brackish water and they want to treat that water. So what are the steps that they, technically speaking, they need to go through? I mean, approach OEMs, they need to approach you, they need to give you the feed water analysis, you need to have some kind of information to design just those steps. Would you just briefly share with us those steps? Sure, so the first steps actually, um, even without me, and uh, it's the most crucial step is um, the question, what to do with the concentrate in case they want to use reverse osmosis? Because uh, reverse osmosis is a continuous process. Let's say you operate at 80% recovery. That means continuously 20% of the water that you treat is wasted, right? So there you need to have a solution, whether you put it into a sewer system, whether you put it into a river. Is it allowed to put it into the river? Is it allowed to put it into the sewer system? What are the the regulations that need to be considered? So this is the first and... uh, probably the most important step before you even start and thinking about um, doing the next steps. If this is clarified, the first step, then I would say the second step is to really understand the, the water source that you want to use. What about the water quality? How variable is it over the year? What components are in the water that could cause problems during reverse osmosis treatment? So you should have a clear um, picture of your water that you want to treat. Then the third step is you, as an end user, you you should become familiar with the technology and the requirements for that technology. Um, Because in my opinion, nothing is worse than a, a tender from an end user who does not know what he wants and what he really needs. Uh, surprisingly, we see that happening quite often, even from companies um, that think that you think that they should know, or or let's say which are paid for for knowing. And um, yeah, a, a typical mistake I see in practice is, is for example, saving then a conductivity sensor or a flow meter in between um, single RO stages. Right, so maybe that saves you to 6,000 euros per RO line. But the, the, the drawback is that the, the operator can only judge the, the system conditions on the whole line, but not individually on the single stages. And, and consequently, then the decision, the, the decision um, when to clean or when to replace membranes is based on the full line. But if you look into um, field experiences, Typically, it's not required to replace the full line or to clean the full line. So 
in most cases is sufficient, you change the first stage or first to change even the first three elements. Um, or you only clean the second stage and the first stage is still running um, fine. And um, I bet that um, already like one replacement pays off the whole cost for that additional equipment needed to, to stage-wise um, monitor the, the system. So that's what I think can be proved and that should be um, considered um, when end users tender or want to build a, a reverse osmosis plant. Okay, and then for, I mean, in, in this step, steps, what is the, let's say the key role that you um, are playing here uh, in terms of, you know, uh, I mean, I know that they, they, one of the key things they are doing is to, to validate or to perform um, simulation from RO or UF. So talking about simulation, what are the key uh, things that you normally do in a way to help the end user, help the OEMs overcome those problems that they may face in the future? Yeah, so as I introduced at the beginning, one part of my role is to do a RO design. So when I get the, the water analysis, what I do, I study the water analysis and typically then also start the discussion with the end user or with, the, with our customers, the OEMs, um, what components are missing in that water analysis, what components um, I see are hindering or could make the RO application difficult. So this is um, before I even do the design, then this discussion starts. And, and then I do, do a, um, a layout. Um, I propose it to the customer. And again, then we discuss about is that a good choice for him from his perspective? And because it doesn't matter what I think is good, it needs to fit the customer's purpose. And um, if, for example, the customer is interested in, in a cheap, parenthesis, cheap solution, a cheap system, of course, I can do and adapt the design accordingly. Or if the customer, uh, let's say then actually the end user is interested, should be interested in a, a long-term operation at low maintenance cost and operation cost, uh, I also can then impact the, the design accordingly. Um, however, my impact on the whole system is limited. I mean, I do one part, which is the RO design, and all the other parts, the pretreatment, which is crucial for how the RO will perform, um, depends on what the OEM cho choices chooses. Um, myself, I can give recommendations, and yeah, from our long-term experience and knowledge that, that we have in, in our company, um, I would also suggest to follow these experiences, but of course, in the end, the OEM takes the risk and also the responsibility for the whole plant. Um, and you have to see that the OEM is also in competition. He's not a, like the one that can give just one quote and this quote will be accepted, but he's in competition with all the other OEMs and price is a significant factor. 
So, yeah, in the end, the OEM has to take that decision what he really needs to supply, and the end user needs to understand what he really needs. Um, yeah, so that's my role I take in this, in this whole picture of a planning a complete reverse osmosis plant. Okay, so, if, um, so one of the things I remember, which is uh, when you do design, you try to simulate the worst case scenario that the end user may face. And what I mean by that, uh, I mean, I remember there is one plant that I was working in uh, in Morocco, it's a big brackish water plant. And so the temperature, for instance, for example, vary, the temperature of water varies within four seasons. That's one thing we, we most of the time keep in mind as well. And also what we notice is the feed water quality change from one season to the others, depending on the rain, because the water is coming from the dam. And sometimes I have witnessed that the end user is suffering, the OEM is confused. Um, is this because of most of the cases they didn't take time and really do the pilot plant and as you said uh, make sure that pretreatment is stable under those variation and make sure that what comes out from the pretreatment is not influencing too much for example the the RO membrane i mean are those pilots piloting trials are most of the times done or not done or so piloting for brackish water system is is not typical today. Okay. Uh, I would say in the 80s, yeah, you, you still did that because there was a lack of understanding. So you, typically you started with a small pilot and and then you built built a large larger plants. Um, nowadays, several thousands, if not hundred thousand of plants in the world um, are treating surface waters, are treating brackish water. And um, if the OEM is doing his job well, he has the data internally. He, he knows the water quality. He knows how um, rainwater can impact the quality of a dam water, right? So um, this should be available, this, this knowledge. Um, uh, anyhow, you know it, how it works. Um, in big companies, for example, like ours, uh, we were lucky that we still had a handover from um, from a very experienced person working with him one year together, oh, yeah. um, being able to exchange experiences, etc. But um, many people don't have that that opportunity anymore. They get into this position. Um, the precessor is gone already for half a year, uh, and they have to start from scratch. And um, so a lot of knowledge gets lost. And I think also in, uh, for our partners in OEMs, you see the fluctuation of people is relatively high. Um, and then also the uh, knowledge transfer um, gets lost. But just looking at the number of plants installed worldwide, um, and the big players that are in the market, um, they should have the database. They should have the understanding of 
how these different types of water can behave and what pretreat, which pretreatment is adequate to be used. Um, so that should be um, the case. So I would say piloting for, for common surface waters is, is, I would say, only in special cases needed. But uh, if I treat, for example, well water, I would not do a piloting. I would do a good measurement of, of my water composition um, and be sure how it, this water composition looks like and what variation I could expect. And But um, piloting probably is not needed. That's a very good point to say. Yeah, that's that's very good. <laughs> you say that uh, some people didn't have the, the chance. Which, and you remind me myself. I mean, we <laughs> joined together. Um, they told me the guy who will teach me about the dairy processing. He will teach me within six months. And when I joined, after one week, they told me, "Well, he will leave the company in uh, next week." Huh? <laughs> so, <was> yeah. <laughs> So I remember it was only one week to get so many things, but uh, yeah, you need to, to do what you need to do. I, I, I learned it by the hard way, which is go to the customer and then uh, look like dummy. <laughs> Someone who's, they expect something from you, but actually you go to them and you learn from them, which is not that bad. I mean, it's, it's good. Yeah, this is, this is also a way of learning. Learning by doing is it's not wrong. I mean, if you, if you don't have the chance to learn from somebody else, then you need it to do it this way. Then you right. learn while you do the job. Um, you learn while the problems come. And then with the, with the years, you will get also more and more experience. That's 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 normal. I would just say it's more. Oh, it's, it's smarter. It's smart. It would yeah. be smarter if companies would invest more into that um, intermediate time. I mean, it's clear if somebody is going to retire, it's not like out of the sky, oh, he's retiring. No, it's, uh, we know that already a long time before. And then you can use the, the last one to two years to, to make a proper um, handover. Um, and, and, and this will then save really money for the company the following uh, three, four, five years. Uh, I, I fully agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I've been working with some, uh, I think, like you, some uh, some OEMs, big and small OEMs. And, and what I noticed in the big OEMs, um, I get the same question after three years. So the people, they change in that big OEMs. They move to management, whatever they move, and they get young engineer. And I was wondering, did he not ask the guy who was before him? You know, so I, I have faced that situation. So you get same, I was similar question. For example, what is the maximum uh, chlorine that I can add that should be in feed water? I mean, those things that's, I, I, at least there's a good percentage of same question, I guess, from same OEMs, but different people because there is exchange. No, I, I agree with you. So um, one thing when you mentioned, the, okay, the design for brackish water, um, uh, it should be good pre-treatment. So I have a question here. What are, I mean, so while doing the design, okay, what are the key mistakes that the customers should avoid uh, while using those simulation tools, especially like Wave? And, and there are also so many simulation tools in the market. So what are the key mistakes that most of customers that normally they should avoid? 
they should not do. Yeah, well, um, I think our simulation tool is not so much different from, from other simulation tools or model tools that use models to simulate something. So your simulation is, is just as good as, as the user is. And um, I mean, you can type in any values in, into the program and you will get a result. Um, now, if this uh, result is, is good or not good, um, if you don't understand the basic principles of, for example, reverse osmosis, you will not be able to judge this result. You can give it to your customer, he's building a plan, and if you're lucky, it works. If it's not working, then it will fail. Um, but let's go to the professional level. Like We are all professionals, and also our customers are professionals and work with water for already several years, etc. I think the biggest mistake, um, and I include myself there, is what we can do is to trust the program because of the habit. Right. If you have done 20 designs with one membrane and um, then your say my OEM builds the plant and the plant is built at the end user side and the end user comes back and tells you, yes, the values that you predicted or the model that predicted are correct, and then you also start assuming that the program is precise and can give precise um, numbers. And that might be correct for that single membrane that you used in the 20 designs. And what happens then if you start changing the membrane or, for example, there's a new membrane in the market and then you start doing the design with that new membrane, you actually expect the same behavior. But of course, of the lack of data, um, I mean, you cannot simulate all water sources in the world. Um, there's, a, there's a risk, at least, that the, the design does not fit what you see in reality. And, uh, and then the customers are disappointed that say, yeah, the program is not working well, etc. Yes, of course, the program did not model that correctly, but I strongly recommend to, to every customer, every OEM, um, that he, before he trusts uh, a model that he confirms, um, the model results with reality. And uh, that's also for us an important um, job to do that we confirm what the results provide with our model design that we provide, that we um, confirm that with real results and that if it does not confirm or if it's not correct, that we uh, adapt the model um, later on so it becomes more precise and better. But here I'm also dependent on the feedback of our customers because I'm not in the field. I'm not at the end user side. I don't get the, the numbers. I don't get the rejection factors. Typically, I get the rejection factors if there's a problem, yes. But if it's running well, um, I don't hear anything back from, from my customers. Okay. So uh, here it, it's, it's a give, give uh, and listen situation for us that, um, especially for new products, that we first need to be a little bit more, not so, not to trust the program unless we really get hard facts that provide the, and give us the values that we can say, yes, um, this membrane model fits well what we see in practice. Okay, so, and, and, and well, talking about those cases, so uh, what makes a good simulation tools for, um, 
plant that potentially could run for 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 several years. I mean, uh, when 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 doing the design, uh, do they need to pay attention on a pressure drop? They should be conservative on the, the feed pressure. They should be conservative in such way to keep in mind maybe the pressure will increase in the in the future. So they need to design in such a way to be um, more you know having like a buffer. You know, it's like. I just can, can give a metaphor. It's like if I give you a car and I told you the maximum speed limit is for this car is 100 kilometers per hour. So when I'm doing the design for this car, I'm sure that this car could handle 125 kilometers per hour, which is 25% plus. That's roughly just, just the not speed, but just an example. So for the design, so what are the things that you think? Okay, those criteria while doing the design, if you would pay attention on those things, um, you, will, you would have kind of a buffer if something happened to your plant in the future. Did you get my question? Mm, yes, I think. Okay. Um, Yeah, I think I think it's it's well known that you if you do a conservative design and with conservative design I mean choosing low flux ranges for that application and also the flux range again depends on the water quality so there's no general rule that you should use 15 LMH for all designs no this doesn't exist so depending on your water source uh, we recommend different uh, flux ranges and then what we get as a feedback is of course if you Design the plant at the limit of your flux, I'd say for brackish water, 20H, LMH, 30 LMH, and you don't have the right pretreatment before, you can really end up in, in trouble. Um, so it's less risky if you ha do a, a more conservative design, let's say 20, 22 LMH. But on the other hand, that increases again the cost for the plant. And there we have to consider that, yeah, the OEMs are in competition. So I think this circle, you, you cannot interrupt. You will always have that, that because of competition, cheap solutions will be favored unless the end user knows what he needs and he also understands the benefits that he has from, from a more conservative design. And what I have read uh, lately about from the scientific field is that they confirm, like, Looking at biofilms, for example, if you run at a, at a lower flux, um, the, the biofilm is more fluffy. Uh, it's, it's not so dense. So, um, and the feedback from our customers is that it, it can be cleaned easier than if you if you run at, uh, at the extreme um, um, level. So that's also, I think, practically confirmed, and science is now confirming this as, um, as, as well. But in the end. Uh, the simulation tool does not play so much an important role. It's, it's really about choosing the right pretreatment for your water source. I think this is the most crucial step. And there you should put in all your time or most of your time that you really pick up the right um, pretreatment. And that can be a single filtration step, for example, uh, for, for well water to remove iron from groundwater. But it can also be a multi-technology design that incorporates coagulation, ultrafiltration, and ion exchange processes prior to the RO. 
So I have seen plants that use tap water, for example, as a source. And you would assume this plant does not need any pretreatment. But in the end, they, they decided to go for an infiltration process, an oxidation process, and a degasifying process, which turned the water, actually a good water quality, in, into a biofouling water, and the RO had to, to be cleaned every two weeks on tap water, where you typically have one cleaning per year. So that shows us that um, it's not about putting more processes or the pretreatment does not um, need many processes up front in a row. The, the pretreatment needs to be adapted to the water composition and you need to understand the water composition and the effect of the pretreatment to your water composition to finally then make a good RO design. So this is very, I think, the most important um, step. And right. to give you a good example, um, just recently we replaced the membranes of a plant that is now running for 18 years with the same membrane. The cleaning was done twice per year, typically. Um, the plant was built redundantly, so two lines were always running continuously. One line was standing in standby mode, and after a certain period of time, they switched the mode. The plants were rinsed out with RO permeate um, when they, before they got into shutdown. And uh, two of the three lines are still running so after 18 years. Um, and if I I think I recalculated the, the operational hours, like if the system would have been operated 24 hours, so no standby um, plant. And in the end, it was 12 years of continuous operation with the same set of membrane before it was replaced. Wow. And I think this is a good example of what is possible if you have a good pretreatment, if you have a good monitoring system, and um, if the people have time and take care of their plant, and I think the last thing is getting more and more important, time to get time and have time to look at data, to analyze data, to go to the plant and check uh, the situation of the plant. We see that more and more happening, that those operators are under pressure with time. And, um, yeah, they don't, simply don't have the time to to look into details and then react accordingly before you have a problem. So, so Jochen, when, when you said it's, it's a very good example, I, I, I never heard of For me, the maximum that I know to now is maybe 10 or nine years, but this is 12 years for me. It's very interesting. And, and what is it ultrafiltration as a pretreatment or what is the pretreatment for this? this no, this no, one? it's simple. Uh, sand filtration. So oh. they have a. So the the river is surface water. Uh, the river. The water is river water. This mm -hmm. way. Um, and before it is treated by the water works, and um, they have a classical sand filtration process with, I think, even biologically active sand filtration processes before it's then sent to the chemical. Park uh, and then the chemical park again is treating it with sand filtration, and um, yeah, so with these processes that they applied, they they managed to operate the system and only clean the membranes twice per year, um, and have made good good experiences with with that setup. 
But um, again, you need to understand the, the water source. And for that specific case, they also had a surprising event um, close to that site, a sugar company started production. And um, since the sugar company is there, um, they see a higher increase in, in, in biofouling. It's not critical. They still can manage, but it's, it is visible. So you see the difference. So just saying, yeah, take care of your water, make analysis, and don't expect that the water will not change. It doesn't mean that the water is changing by himself, but it can also be changed by different factors. As I said, a new company is uh, opening next to your um, intake point, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think I have also witnessed similar case in uh, Algeria in the past where um, the, 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 the groundwater or well water is groundwater. I mean, yeah, it's same for me, okay. The, the, they pop up water from the well, okay. It's a little bit deep in the Sahara and the, the TDS was something like 1 point something, 1.5, 1.7 gram per liter of dissolved solid. And they said within three years, the study has almost doubled. For me, it was the first time I heard that for me, the well water should be stable, but they said, no, it's, it's like almost close to three grams per liter of dissolved solid for the same well, the same units. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you, when you mention, that's a good point, the key things to make, one of the key things I understand from you to run an RO membrane properly is to have very well-chosen pretreatment step and a controlled pretreatment step and also to, to follow up the performance of the RO membrane and also the variation of the water to feed water. So uh, do you agree with me that the, pre the adequate pretreatment or the right pretreatment, it should not be always ultrafiltration like, like your example, it could be only sand water. So it depends on situation. It's not always UF or advanced pretreatment, but it depends on situation. Do you agree on that? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. It, it can be a simple filter or sometimes even no filter. Yeah. Um, there, there has been a plant in, in Belgium, um, as I said before, that, that turned a, a tap water into a biofouling water just because of the pretreatment. So you really need to understand what the pretreatment is doing to the water and the consequences of, of that pretreatment. And if you understand this process, then you can do good um, system designs. But if you do not understand um, how the pretreatment impacts the water quality, um, then yeah, it can happen that you turn very easy to treat water in a very difficult water. So yeah, and then yeah. if if I if if I would summarize um, the pretreatment role or the good design role is three things to save RO membrane from is to make sure that the RO membrane will not um, experience organic fouling inorganic or second one is inorganic fouling and the third one is biological fouling so we need to make sure that those three things 
will not happen on the membranes. If they will happen on the membranes, then the performance will drop. What do you think? Yeah, that's, that, that's correct. At least you should understand the impact of these three things, like scaling, right. fouling, um, biofouling. And in some circumstances, people live with fouling. Mm -hmm. You know, from, from, from your field of experiences, uh, the milk has several thousands of COD in the feed water, where in our recommendations we say it should be, the TUC level should be, I think, below five, something like this. Yeah. But many processes, reverse osmosis processes, would not even work if everyone would follow these, these uh, limitations or recommendations we give in, in our uh, manual. But you need to learn to live with the consequences. And the consequence is, in your case, for example, that the RO plant is cleaned once per day, right? And if then still this process is, uh, is profitable, then it justifies the, the number of cleanings and the lifetime of one year or half a year of a membrane, right? Mm -hmm. So it depends always on the expectations of the customer. What does he expect? You can treat landfill leachate with 30,000 milligrams per liter of COD. It's possible to treat this with membranes, just the lifetime and the cleaning intervals is significantly higher than what we are discussing for our normal brackish water plants. Um, where we say, yeah, one cleaning, two cleanings, maybe five cleanings per, per year is what we assume. Um, and then this is also then the experience of the, uh, the customers. You can do so many more things with membranes than what we just have as our main, main um, business. Um, but you need to understand what are the consequences and then calculate does, for example, one day cleaning per once per day still pay off for that process. And if it pays off, yes, you, you go for, for a high number of cleaning. Yeah. You can do that. That's well said. It's, uh, it's the, the CAPEX and OPEX uh, capital expenses, operation expenses that the, the, the customer need to do the math and, you know, Take the responsibility for long term. So this is how, yeah, yes, it's, it's a good point. Uh, so Jochen, here we come almost to the, the end of the show. And I, I mean, as usually, I have two questions to the guests. The first, the first question is: um, Is there any emerging technology that you think will com uh, will compete against RO in brackish water treatments and maybe will disrupt the brackish water market? I, to my limited knowledge, I have not seen or heard anything that at the moment is could could um, interrupt this this reverse osmosis market at the moment. As I said, there's many things in on the research level, um, but I have not seen that those ideas and um, directions that they are going are still commercial, feasible, or available. But uh, I mean, my knowledge is also only limited. I'm, I'm not working in, in R&D. I don't know what the latest developments are in the universities. Maybe there is one, and I just don't know it. Yeah. No, just from the commercial standpoint. I'm talking about something which is really commercialized and exists in the market, and you think it's like like aquaporting or something, which is you know, something that's well produced. No. No, okay, good. 
The last question is, uh, have you ever participated in humanitarian projects in the past or maybe you are participating in the future? I don't know. No, actually, um, no, I never participated in a humanitarian project, which is called humanitarian project. Unless you, you count my, my civil service in the kindergarten as a humanitarian project. <laughs> What are you doing here <laughs> uh, Probably uh, this experience was more humanitarian for myself than for the children. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what I took from, from that experience with me, yeah. um, and actually that was my, that I wanted to become a, a kindergarten, um, how do you call them? Kindergarten. Uh, not leader. Teacher. Yeah. Oh. Teacher. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but after that experience, <laughs> I decided to become an engineer. <laughs> so anyhow, but what I took with me from, from that time was that, um, I think, and that was also confirmed throughout my travels later on to different countries is that we, as our, as adults, I think we, we take ourselves uh, way too, too important. Uh, like we, we think that, we are important, we have to do the job, etc. Yeah. And uh, I think especially in, in, in our industrial societies, if you go around and, and look how, how these societies are developing, I think um, at the moment or we are lacking a kind of empathy or honesty and, and humor that's what you see when you, if you deal with children or if you look how children play with each other and what they do, how they cheat each other, how honest they are much empathy they develop but uh, for some reason <laughs> unfortunately I see that these things that you have already or you see at that level we, we lose it during our yeah our journey to become grown up so we get more not honest or we have lack of empathy and uh, yeah humor some people still have a lot of humor hopefully but um, in that context, I think what, what we can learn is or what could be changed is that we should become um, more childish in, in that positive way. I know childish is not, a, it's not positively, if I say, tell somebody, hey, you're childish, that it's not positively um, recognized. But um, if we really use that in, in a term how, how children play and deal um, with, each, with, with each other, I think um, that's that can have a positive impact on, on our society. That's, that's really, I mean, uh, Jochen, it's, I, I never see it like that. It's a really good point because right now I'm just thinking I never had that chance, I mean, to, uh, to see, to witness, as you, as you mentioned, one, two, three, four days just to see the child how between themselves they communicate, they do whatever they fight, whatever they're doing. I just growing up and I'm and I'm dealing with adult people. So I yeah, but you, you experience it yourself. I, I experience you, it, but I would like to see myself, you know, <laughs> right now. <laughs> Throwing dirt into the other's eyes, yes. <laughs> No, it's it's uh, really really interesting to see how children deal with each other and um, yeah, how how much we we dismiss of that 
that experience when we when we grow up. And I think one, as I said, one thing is we we take ourselves so so important, and um, actually we we are, we are not important. We should even pay more attention to um, how to grow children, how to give them the possibilities to develop their personalities, and um, I think there are a lot of things still still can be be done and uh, should be done. But for some reason, we pay more attention on our economics and EBITDA and uh, all these things <laughs> are not really important. <laughs> this, you know, it's, and this is maybe the, takes me to the question about the, the kids. I know that some of my colleagues that have done a very good thing, they, uh, I think in the U.S., maybe in Spain as well, uh, one day per year that your father or your mother, if she would like to come to the school and just present her job or his job. For example, in the US, I know my colleague, he really took the membrane and he should be able to explain those things to the kids, small kids. Have you, are you thinking about this experience in the future? Just when your child is growing up, you go to the school, just explain them what you do, what is the importance of your job in, let's say in the, in the water treatment. Have you think about this? Yeah, why not? Um, I can do that. But I think um, we would learn more if we put the children into management positions in our company. <laughs> <laughs> that would take it too far. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well. yeah. Thank you very much, Jochen. Good. I really You're welcome. Thank you very much for our discussion. It was a very good discussion. And... Uh, I wish you a good day. Thank you very much. Vielen Dank. Thanks, Johan. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye-bye.